let's kick off episode 411 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Surfing in the Rain. It is from the band the Beaujemoy Orchestra. They are a surf band based out of Grenoble, France, and I'm going to butcher the name of the album, but I'm going to do my best. Fantomas Contre Entrepôt. Either way, I'm going to make sure there's a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, or you can find them on Bandcamp yourself at bmorkestra.bandcamp.com. Check them out if you're done listening to this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I'm excited to have you here because I've got Tad Galusha on the phone. Tad is somebody who's been on the show a couple of times now, and having him here on the show is just a blast because he and I, we start talking about movies, we start talking about podcasting, we start talking about comics. I mean, the guy is just somebody that I end up chatting with and then laughing with for hours on end. And the conversation that you're going to hear this week about the movie Dinosaurus is just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to talk a little bit about what he's up to, the new comic book, Cretaceous, that's out now. It's just a fun conversation, and I hope you dig it. We also play around with the Classic Five because, well, nobody escapes the Classic Five here on Monster Kid Radio. That's not the only thing happening this week, though. Of course, we have Kenny's famous Monster of Filmland segment where he's going to take a look at how that iconic magazine talked about the movie Dinosaurus. And Dr. Chung's back. He's going to tell us more about what's happening in the world of monster collectibles. Before we roll into all of that, though, I just want to take a second and on a personal note, thank everybody who showed me and Brenda and my cat Samantha love and support over this past weekend. If you follow me on Facebook, if we're friends on Facebook, you saw that I posted uh, that our cat Samantha suffered a second stroke. Uh, Samantha is not a cat that we talk about a lot here on the show. And that's mostly because Wednesday is the most active cat here. She's the one that actually hangs out with us here in the recording area. Samantha and our other cat, Smoke, kind of hang out in the back. They don't really get along with Wednesday. So we try to keep them apart from each other. Samantha is one of the sweetest cats I have ever known. And I've, at this point, known quite a few. Anyway, she's at least 16 years old. She has had one stroke before. We think it was a stroke. And then she has had another stroke. And when we took her to the vet the following morning after she had her issues, her stroke, I was told that morning by the vet that we were going to have to let her go, that she was now at the point to where she would not recover. Things were just too far gone. I didn't want to make any decisions or or do anything at that point because Brenda was still at work. And then while we were waiting for Brenda to get off work, she started to show signs of recovery which is amazing. And I chronicled all of this on my Facebook page and you guys and gals have just been there with us uh, virtually, you know, kind of boosting us with your positive thoughts and comments and and just everything that you did for us online allowed us to kind of funnel all of that positiveness into our darling Sam. And she's still recovering. I don't know, honestly, if she's going to get much better than she is now but the way she is now is so much better than she was a few days ago she still has a head tilt which is common with cats who've had strokes but it's not nearly as severe and she still has some weakness in her hind end and again she's an older kitty she's got kidney disease so some of that's coming into play too but she's got a heck of an appetite she still loves to cuddle she still purrs she still hangs out with smoke and grooms him she loves to hang out with us and I mean, we have our Sam for a little bit longer and, you know, it's meant a lot to know that uh, everybody really kind of 
who gave, gave us love online through all of this. So for me and Brenda, who is not on the show this week, unfortunately, she had a crazy work week. Uh, but for both of us, thank you so much. And, and for Sam, of course, as well. Anyway, let's go ahead and get on with the show. We're going to hear from Dr. Tong right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, here is an important message from Jack H. Harris, producer of 4D Man. Imagine a check for $1 million being made out to you. In my new film, you will see 4D Man perform feats never seen on the screen before. And if you, any one of you listening to me, can actually perform in real life the feats ascribed to 4D Man, $1 million in cash will be yours. Your admission ticket to see 4D Man in widescreen and color may be worth $1 million. 4D Man is the most amazing motion picture ever made. The story of one man who solved the mystery of the fourth dimension. Even in this century of wonders, when science holds nothing to be impossible, you'll gasp in awe at the feats of the 4D Man. In color to thrill you as never before, 4D Man. Have you heard? Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast that reads you a story, either a whole short story or a novel, a chapter or two at a time. Join us for our exploration of old ghost stories, supernatural fiction, horror tales, folk tales, fantasy, gothic horror, weird fiction, and cosmic horror. And don't forget to join us for our monthly show about the Cthulhu mythos at the end of the month. Black Clock Audio on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Black Clock Audio Tales. Part of darkmyths.org. Thank you. A world-famous scientist, greatest living master of the occult, has mysteriously vanished. In his place... A huge and fearsome prehistoric monster suddenly appears. What happened to Dr. Waterman? Only one man, last to see him alive, knows. And now he finds himself in deadly peril. The weird, the unbelievable, the supernatural come alive before your very eyes in Equinox. The invisible barrier between good and evil between light and the forces of darkness. What is the secret of the thousand-year-old book? See four teenage boys and girls fight a devil cult for their lives, their sanity, their eternal souls in Equinox. In supernatural color. Equinox. presents Dr. Tong's World of Monster Collectibles, spanning the globe looking for monster goo so you don't have to. Dateline the Internet. It's all fun and games in this segment as we let you know about a couple of really cool board games available now. First up, a newly released board game made by Fireside Games called Kaiju Crush. As you can guess from the title, the object is to move around the board and crush the city while fighting off other kaiju, all trying to do the same thing. 
This light strategy game is excellent for younger players and parents trying to ease their kids into some more difficult games later on. This next game I ran into by accident, but it looks to be super fun and entertaining for you and the whole family. Shadows in the Forest was released a year ago and was the winner of the Techalicious Best of Show Award at the 2018 New York City Toy Fair. The object? Simple. You are the Shadowlings, strange creatures that live in, what else, the shadows of the forest, with your little glow-in-the-dark eyes. You move your Shadowling around, trying to avoid the light of the battery-operated lantern. And uh, the really cool scarier part? You get to play it in the dark. Both Kaiju Crush and Shadows in the Forest are available through Amazon.com. Make sure you use the MKR link to Amazon so MKR gets the taste of that mad gaming cash. Dateline the future! And in Universal Monster Gaming news of interest to MKR listeners, Ravensburger recently announced a fully licensed Universal Monster board game called Horrified at the New York City Toy Fair a few weeks ago. Set for an August release of this year, the strategy game pits the monsters against you and fellow players who have to gang up to save your town from the creatures of the night. The game features really cool sculpted metal figures of Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Bride, Wolfman, Mummy, Invisible Man, and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Sorry, Cheney fans. No Phantom of the Opera or Hunchback this time. Man, I can't wait for this one. Artist Spotlight! The Monster Artist Spotlight this time shines on a very talented young man out of Aurora, Illinois. Hey, hey, party on, Wayne. Don Prickton, or as he is better known as, Friend Prices, has a great talent for bringing the classic and not-so-classic... Hey, where have I heard that before? Anyway, he reaches in your brain and brings back monster memories you haven't thought about in years and adds that oh-so-nice touch of humor to it. As a monster toy collector myself, I get a real kick out of his screen-printed posters, t-shirts, and pins. One of my favorite posters of his is the Mark's Great Garlou battling a Mattel Shogun Warrior. Watch out for that flying fist there, Garlou. Are there any Mark's 6-inch plastic monster collectors out there? How about a nice screen-printed t-shirt of the Mark's creature? I can go on and on, but take my word for it. You need to check out Friend Prices. He's on Etsy at Friend Prices, all one word, or on Instagram under the same name. Tell him the doctor sent you. Spotlight on Vintage Monster Toys! All this talk about games got me thinking about several monster games that I have in my collection. Today I'd like to focus on one that is not only very impressive in person by its sheer size, but really super cool in its subject matter. Ideal's Haunted House game came out in 1962 and took up a lot of toy store shelf real estate. Say that five times fast. The box alone is 23 inches wide and 19 inches tall. Inside this massive box is a 3D plastic cross-section recreation of a haunted house. What's a haunted house look like? You know, pick up the game and you'll find out. This is not your traditional board game, by the way. The game board is the house itself and measures a whopping 14 inches tall. It is played upright instead of flat on the ground like a traditional boring game. Players, represented by different colored pegs, move around the house looking for the hidden jewel. Simple enough? but you need to avoid the different opening doors. Hit one wrong, and you can send you back to the beginning. How do you win? It's simple. Be the first to make it to the attic. Pop the door, revealing the jewel. Don't overshoot it, or it could send you back around into the house again. Oh, did I mention the unconventional spinner? 
It's a very cool box with a lever. Pull it down. And the owl tells you how many spaces you need to move. All in all, a very cool game that will set you back quite a few in today's monster collectible toy market. Hey, all of you out there in MKR land, got any sneak peeks of monster merchandise coming out soon? Drop Derek a line and let him know, and he will forward the information on to me here at MKR. Until next time, this is Mark Dr. Tongue Peterson saying, Happy Monster Collecting! Peace! Action you've never seen. Races across your screen as you thrill to a new dimension in picture making. Carnival of Souls. This is the shocking story of a who crawled from the river to race through a nightmare, walking a tightrope between heaven and hell. From the unreal, she crashes through to reality. But try as she will to lead a normal life, she is torn from a goal. There's no privacy in her life. She's ever watched, tormented. Either it's her neighbor, desirous of her physically, watching her with his leering eye, or it's the evil eye of the man, the man who taunts her, the man who wants her. From the bottom of the river they come. They reach for her. They demand that she dance with them at the Carnival of Souls. She is a girl driven mad by the relentless forces of the beyond. He will not relent as he comes for her again and again. She whirls between the real and the unreal, trying to cling to life. I like being with you, really I do. I don't want to be alone tonight. I want to be near you. Honey. You don't want to go in there all by yourself, do you? But she must watch herself in death. She must dance at the Carnival of Souls held just for her. For they have come for her for the last time, claiming her as one of their own. Carnival of Souls arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refunds. Of Souls is the shocker of all time, guaranteed to sweep you into a new dimension of picture making. You can't afford to miss Carnival of Souls. Night falls on the great halls of Frenzywood. Chris and Jerry read this week's comics with a sense of terror and foreboding. Which books will they enjoy and which will unsettle them with an eerie mood striking into their very souls? They work their way through the rare and mysterious tomes to find those worthy of your attention. A knock comes to the door, bringing something strange and otherworldly that no one has ever seen before. It's the, the Professor, Professor Frenzy, Frenzy Show! Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. If you like indie comics and also like podcasts, please try the Professor Frenzy Show. Find the show in iTunes Search and Facebook. Episodes tweeted out on at Professor Frenzy on Twitter. Thank you. <laughs>
of Spider Island. Eight beautiful girls and one lone man struggling for survival. With death, sudden, violent, and horrible lurking in the shadows. Horrors of Spider Island. Out of the night came a fate worse than death. A man's mind twisted, his brain poisoned, with an uncontrollable lust to kill. Horrors of Spider Island. A tale of terror that will leave you limp. So hideous and shocking, you won't believe your eyes. His hunger for victims was never satisfied. Prepare to be frightened out of your wits by the horrors of Spider Island. Hello, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's film, 1960's Dinosaurus, was first featured in Famous Monsters No. 40 from August of 1966. It was a seven-page article with eight photos. It begins with a detailed synopsis of the film and ends with this information and critique. This Jack H. Harris production starred Ward Ramsey, Christina Hansen, and Paul Luke Lather, with special effects by Wa Chang and Gene Warren, and was made in 1960 in color by Fairview Productions and released through Universal Pictures. The animated monsters themselves were built by the master hand of Marcel Delgado, creator of King Kong and the Lost World models. One interesting scene was that of the Tyrannosaurus wrecking an island bus. This stop-motion sequence was good to create a terrible feeling toward the monster. Other scenes of relative worth were the Battle of the Brontosaurus and Tyrannosaurus, and the Tyrannosaurus and the Crane. A similar scene, although much more effective, smooth and realistic, could be found in the animal world. Dinosaurus is nevertheless worth seeing. This article was later reprinted in the 1970 yearbook and FM 119 from September of 1975. On a personal note, this film was the first giant monster movie I remember seeing somewhere around 1969-1970 on San Antonio's Project Terror. I was five years old at the time. I was thrilled by it and it led me to my lifelong love of all things dinosaurs and stop motion. But the most memorable and still favorite scene for me was a Neanderthal's reaction to the toilet flushing. Comedy gold. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula. And I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited. And occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. 
In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Listeners, there's something about dinosaurs that monster kids just love, and I was actually having this conversation with my wife this morning. Dinosaurs aren't monsters, those they were real life things. They're not really creatures of the fantastics. Like, no, no, no. You're not watching the right movies. And one of the right movies is Dinosaurus, and I'm gonna be talking about it with comic book creator Tad Galusha. How you doing, Tad? Doing pretty good, Derek. Thanks for having me on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think just to make a point to my wife, we're going to call it Dinosaur Kid Radio okay. today. All right. I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Oh, man. So I've had you on the show before, but it's been a while. What have you been up to? Oh, just the huge. Been uh-huh. drawing a lot of comics. A lot of comics. Um, Good yeah, man. I mean, just living the life, you know. And you've had some comics out now. People can check it out. Tell me about Cretaceous. Okay. So Cretaceous is my new book that drops the 27th of this month. But if people happen to be in Seattle attending the Emerald City Comic Con this weekend, my publisher is set up there, Oni Press. And at their booth, apparently they're going to have advanced copies there at the convention. So I've been kind of throwing it out there on social media, like, hey, if people pick it up, you know, shoot me a photo with the book because I actually haven't seen the book yet. Like physically, I haven't held the copy. But, but oh, it's, no. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little like, oh man. Like, uh, but so I guess to actually answer your question, it is imagine if Jurassic Park was done by National Geographic. Yeah, an old school National Geographic special, but with dinosaurs. And not animals, <laughs> or I guess living animals today. That's a terrible description. I'm kind of butchering it, but it's a story about uh, the lives of these prehistoric animals. The main character is, uh, I guess, a family of Tyrannosaurus, Tyrannosaurus rexes. I think that's how you say the plural of that. I really tried to take kind of um, a scientific approach. So all the story is all within the realm of believability. You know, there's no aliens or nothing fantastical. I spent a very long time doing as much research to the best of my ability so that I could try and build the story around things that the animals would actually do. Hunting and the Tyrannosaur family unit, you know, like typically T-Rex is portrayed as like this big, even now still like this big marauding killing machine. You know, the science doesn't support that at all. We know that it to some degree, probably had some type of family unit going on. Some people even theorize it may have operated similar to wolves. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, you'd have maybe uh, a group Tyrannosaurus. So you'd have two, uh, your alpha and male. So you're uh, like almost like parents. And then you'd have some younger Tyrannosaurus that were uh, various sizes operating with them. It's hard to say because they were fairly intelligent. Uh, you know, we know that they had probably the intelligence equivalent of that of like a big cat or a smart house cat which if anybody has cats you're already going oh my god that's terrifying 
Um, that's there. <laughs> Don't give Wednesday any ideas around here. <laughs> yeah, <okay>? right. <laughs> just the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a graphic novel about uh, the lives of these these animals, and I tried to tear at the the heartstrings a little bit. There's a few Bambi moments in there. Not, not to give any spoilers <laughs> away. I just drew my butt off. That's kind of what got me to the table with this gig. Right on. I was first introduced to you at a comic book convention. I was just drawn to your artwork, and I've seen a lot of your art since then. I mean, you've sent me some, and I've been reading your books and all that, and I can't wait for people to see this because you're a good artist, man, and I'm not just saying that because you're a friend. I really dig your work, and knowing what Cretaceous is about and and kind of knowing what you've got planned, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. There's no dialogue in the books. Yeah, there's no dialogue, which – at first kind of worked against me when I was pitching it because everybody wanted the dinosaurs to be talking or they wanted some type of narration like a Patrick Stewart type voice talking us through the lines of these animals. Um, and my whole thing right. is storytelling. Like you, I love film and, uh, and I love comics even more. And I'm a big believer that if you pick up a comic and you go through it and you can't tell what's going on by just looking at – the pictures and the flow of the pages and the expressions of the characters and the body language, then the story, no matter how eloquently written, is kind of a failure. And so I like the idea of telling a story where I'm taking something that, like, say, dinosaurs, then aren't even people. So you really got to work at kind of showing body language exhibiting their emotions. I mean, they do. They're like all animals. They, they, they have thoughts and opinions about things to some degree. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, so, you know, and the same goes for like a movie. I mean, how many times you watched a movie where you have no idea what's going on and the characters are rambling their way through the whole thing. And then you'll watch another movie a week later and maybe five words are said throughout the whole film, but the movie's just like kind of blowing your mind, you know, cause you, because the story is just that strong. And so I, I wanted to try and do that with Cretaceous and not necessarily have this like amazing story of the blue people away, but tell a solid story, just letting the imagery speak for itself, letting the animals, letting their actions and their decisions uh, dictate the the course as the story unfolds. It sounds awesome. And uh you know, Emerald City Comic Con, people are going to be able to see it. I suspect this episode actually will be going out after the Emerald City oh, okay. Comic Con. But if you were there and you picked it up, take a picture of it and send it to Tad. I'll make sure there's links to his website. He wants to see it yeah, too. So. Yeah, throw, throw it up on Instagram. <laughs> Tag me on there. That'd be cool. Hey, That'd there you go. Cool. There you go. Yeah. That's so cool. That is, so, I am so excited for you that this is happening. Thanks, man. And, and I agree with you. You know, to tell a story without words, you know, without dialogue, that is that that's a challenge. So I'm real curious to see how this works. I'm I'm excited. Oh, for thanks. Oh, uh, you know, you look at like um, some of the old like silent films and things like that. Charlie Chaplin. You had, um, I mean, Buster Keaton. Everyone talks about Chaplin, and Chaplin was great. But I mean, Buster Keaton's one of those guys that it's sad how he gets forgotten. You look at some of the stuff he was doing. He was doing stuff that would, uh, that I think, that would make Jackie Chan's knees uh, shake a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. also, the, he was telling good story. Like they were funny. Like you were never at a loss as to what was going, what the story was about. And uh, there was no dialogue. Occasionally, they'd have those little—I uh, can't remember what they're called—where they pop up and it'd have some type of. Yeah, the, the title. Yeah, yeah, like, I know what you're you know, a little about. scene yeah. where you, you could read something that somebody said, I guess. Yeah, you go back and watch those old Buster Keaton films or even this is Monster Kid Radio. What am I thinking? You go back and watch Nosferatu. 
you know what's going on. And it's because it's it's just fantastic storytelling. Everything from, you know, the lighting to uh, the movement of the characters and just the placement of them on the on the screen. It's a fantastic film. It still holds up to this day. I mean, they still screen it in places. Yeah, I mean, and to keep things in the dinosaur wheelhouse, Hammer's One Million Years B.C., I think there's, what, some narration at the beginning or the end, but the rest of it, there is no dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And you can still follow what's going on. So Speaking of yeah. dinosaurs, well, it's not really dinosaurs. I guess technically they're flying reptiles. But there was a Hammer film that I always wished that would have gotten made and never did. It was called... Um, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Really? I think it was like Blimps versus the Pterodactyls or something <laughs> like that. Um, Zeppelins. It was Zeppelins. Zeppelins. That's right. Zeppelins. Oh, man. And I just remember when I was a kid, I saw the movie poster for that someplace. Uh-huh. And I just, my mind just was blown. I was like, oh my God, I have to see this film. And then of course, you know, you go forward 10 years, decade later, and then I find out that the movie never actually got made. Supposedly there was some like test footage for it or something, but I don't know, I guess hammered close up shot by, at that point. Zeppelin versus pterodactyls. Man, that would have been amazing. Oh, that was so cool. I'm just curious, <laughs> like how would you pull that off? Like how, what would the pterodactyls look like? I don't know. <laughs> I, I love all those like hammer, hammer. Oh yeah. It's just so great. Oh, it's so good. Well, uh, and we were talking before we started recording about Josh Kennedy, uh, the filmmaker behind house of the Gorgon. Yeah. He has in the works right now uh, in post-production cowgirls versus pterodactyls. So that's, that's coming. All right. All right. Yeah, that's coming and and I'm doing the sound effects on it, but that's coming. So, you know, <laughs> Oh, Congrats, man. How, so uh, how the pterodactyls look? Because that's how I always judge any monster movie is. <laughs> I, I I give a pass to everything else, but that monster's got those monsters got to look cool. So I haven't seen them yet because they're currently being created right now by Ryan Lingle, who will be doing the stop motion effects for them. Uh, so I don't know what they're going to look like, but I can tell you what they're going to sound like, and they're going to sound awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. They're going to do stop motion though, huh? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's yeah. so great. Oh man, I. Oh, yeah. That was old oh, Ray Harryhausen. Uh, That's right. You gotta, oh, man, I love that stuff. It's so, yeah. It's one of those things where I don't know if kids today appreciate These kids today. These yeah. kids. I always, oh, man. Okay, now I sound like my grandma. These kids today. <laughs> you don't know. You don't have a clue. The special effects are so amazing now. It makes me wonder that if you take one of those old movies, uh, you know, Valley of Guanji or something, and you show it to a kid after he just watched like Jurassic World, is there even like a comparison? I mean, like, because when I was a kid, I was like, oh man, there's dinosaurs. Yeah, dinosaurs in it. Let's do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the movie we're, we we watch, dinosaurs. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I I loved all of that stuff. I was more about the content, not so much the. Um, yeah, I didn't have a bar for special effects. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's a big part of it. I mean, I, I think that there's a, a an element of fantasy to the stop motion. Yeah. This, I mean, CGI is good for a lot of things. I'm not saying, no, CGI, you know, whatever. I mean, that's great. Yeah. But everything has this kind of samey, samey feel. It's all homogenized. Nothing's really sticking out as fantastical because it all looks, quote unquote, real, you know? Right. There's a magic to the stop motion. Yeah, there's something kind of special about it. I always have my bar as a Valley of Guanji because that was one of my favorite that always just stuck out in my head. I remember as a kid thinking that it just looked so real, which maybe that just shows my lack of sophistication as a child. (laughs) I don't know. No, that movie's fantastic. Yeah. That movie is fantastic. So, yeah. There's a movie like, okay, Hollywood, you're remaking all these flicks. 
why hasn't that one gotten a rebirth? That seems like that's just a no brainer. It's this awesome Western. And I mean, there's just so many great things. Like all the characters are enjoyable in it. You listening, Hollywood? Yeah, come on. (laughs) Come on. Well, you mentioned Dinosaurus. That's the one we're going to talk about today. But Tad, you know, there's something we do on the show every time now. We got to play a round of the Classic Five. Bring it. All right. So the Classic Five, for listeners who don't know, and probably everybody does at this point, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've got a deck of cards here, and each one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question on them. They're all about classic monster movies, and there are no wrong answers. I know I just called it a game, but really it's a conversation starter. And really, I don't know if we need that conversation starter because we chatted for like 30 minutes before I hit record. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, nonetheless, we're going to play around with the Classic Five if you are ready, sir. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. All right. Here we go. Let me get the, the deck out here. Card number one. What movie do you prefer? Oh, wow. Son of Kong or Son of Godzilla? Oh, oh, oh man. You're right in my wheelhouse on this one, too. Yeah, right? Oh, <laughs> God. That's a toughie. Son of Godzilla was always kind of goofy for me. Uh, I mean, they're both a little goofy. I, I guess I'm going to go with Son of Kong. And I only I'm going to say this because... On watching the movie, it just it had a ton of potential. They kind of took the comedic route with it, mm-hmm. and I don't know why he fights a bear, a giant bear, instead of fights fighting dinosaurs in it. Oh, it still to this day perplexes me. But the concept of uh, of Kong having some kind of offspring, one, it puts a little bit like makes you alludes to a little bit more backstory on Kong himself. Oh yeah. Uh, like there he had some type of family that we didn't know about that maybe got killed on the island. That might contend to like why he was so infatuated with um what's her name? The gal. Right. And I don't think she ever actually gets a real proper name in the film. He only calls her kid over and over and over again, but she is credited as Hilda? Really? It was Hilda oh, I would have never guessed. I always thought it was like okay, weird. Well, yeah. Oh, well. That night, there's a great Frank Frazetta book cover. I could not tell you the name of the book because I just only seen the painting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very King Kong esque, but it's got like a, a man and a woman, and they're obviously their clothes are all tattered, and they're climbing up the side of this like cliff, and they're being chased by these two white gorillas that are about you know they're not quite King Kong size. I'd say they're more like Mighty Joe Young size, which would be Son of Kong. Son of Kong, you know, he's adolescent. And I just – I always loved that painting so much and always made me think of Son of Kong. I, there's just so much you could do with it. And also it would have been great to see them expand on that whole world of uh, Skull Island, uh, mm-hmm. especially through – yeah, well, kind of like you know, in, in, in my book, uh, Cretaceous, you know, it's, it's a lot about like these animals trying to survive in this environment. What would that story entail of a young, a young Kong trying to survive – Especially if he's like an albino, so he kind of stands out a little bit more, so he can't exactly blend in as well as maybe, say, his uh, his old pop-pop did. <laughs> you know, I, my imagination always ran wild with Son of Kong, I guess. And the, the ending of that movie, though, always broke my heart. It's devastating. Yeah, where it just sinks I, into the ocean. Ugh. That speaks to the quality of the film, though. I mean, if it's able to make us care about something that we know isn't real, again, the stop-motion thing. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a solid film. It's really good. And damn, good answer. Okay, card number two. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That no, 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 no. This is what it's about, man. Conversation starters. Okay, card number two. What classic monster movie needs a comic book adaptation? I ask the comic book Ooh. artist. <laughs> Another good question. Well, I'm gonna just nix Godzilla and King Kong right now because they've been doing them a ton. 
recently. Uh, okay. And I've had the fortune of getting to work on both a little bit. Which is really cool. I mean, that's living the dream. That was literally my my introduction into the industry. Pretty much is like, oh, hey, remember those two those two uh, iconic characters that you were obsessed with as a kid? Here, here, work on them. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, and, and you're gonna pay me? Great. Yeah, yeah. Here's some <laughs> money. It's not a lot, but here's some money. And I'm like, oh god, thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, I would say, and I, you're gonna be on board with me on this one. Okay. I want to see creature from the Black Lagoon comic. But I don't want to see a reiteration of the movie because Art Adams already did that for Dark Horse back in the 90s, which if anybody can get their hands on it, the Art Adams or Arthur Adams, I think he was going by Arthur at the time, Arthur Adams, Creature from the Black Lagoon comic series. I think it's, I think it's only, I think uh, maybe like 40 some pages, definitely worth your time. And it's also Art Adams, who's an, just an awesome illustrator. Mm-hmm. That's what I would want to draw. I would want to illustrate is a creature from the black lagoon, but get into a little bit of the details of like how it survived through millennia in the middle of the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Cause there's gotta be some type of like reproductory thing going on. Like maybe he's like some of these toads that are like asexual, you know, so he doesn't necessarily need a mate. So like lays an egg or a couple of eggs and then that grows into. And I, I always like to think of the, the creature like going through like tadpole form. So, you know, like he had like a tail <laughs> and the tail falls off. His back legs grow a little bit bigger. And then it's slowly he kind of like morphs. I just always thought that'd be great. You know, like he was in this when he would be born and he'd be this like little tadpole thing. I think that would be just hilarious looking. Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Yeah. And I've seen you draw the Gil, the classic Gil man. I mean, that's again how I was drawn to your table at that convention a while back. So I would love to see that. Publishers, are you listening? Come on out there. Hire me. Call me up. My phone's on right now. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Card number three. What's your favorite big bug monster movie? This was highly contested between my mother and I. This was an argument we used to have. She was a big fan of them. Okay. Um, which I mean, if you haven't seen them, come on. Yeah, what are you Monster doing? Kid Radio, like let's get my favorite. I talked this movie up big in college, and then we did actually did a screening of it, and everyone sat there silently because they did not adore it quite the same level of enthusiasm that I did. Was the Deadly Mantis. Where are they? Where are the bodies? Easy. In all the kingdom of the living, there is no more deadly or voracious creature than the praying mantis. You think you'll be able to drive it out to sea? I hope so. Every device of military science, every defensive weapon, radar, planes, rockets, marshaled to destroy a thousand tons of beastly fury. A monster leaving a trail of carnage, spreading panic across a continent. Nothing in its path was safe. Not the planes in the sky. Not the ships at sea. Nor the vehicles on the ground. You boys might just as well go back. There aren't any bodies. And then this most dangerous monster that ever lived challenged the security of our city. Ah! Ah! 
I that was one of those movies I probably rented that movie at least once a month from our local grocery store. Wow. Arlington, Washington, shout out to Thrifty Foods, uh early nineties. Um <laughs> They had a great classic monster section, all the old classics, uh, all black and white. So them and, you know, mole people and just anything you could possibly think of. But one of the movies they had was Deadly Mantis. And I used to rent that all the time. I just, I don't know what it was. (laughs) Upon watching it, it's a little, um, it's a little stiff. My only qualm with it though was, you know, there's scenes where the mantis is flying and the, you know, like the. I think they're like F-16 and probably not F-16s, but something of that era equivalent jets mm-hmm. of some kind are like shooting it and it just has no effect. You know, it's just bouncing off its exoskeleton, like no big deal. Then at the end, it gets like trapped in like the Brooklyn tunnel and they just throw, I think it was like, they just throw gas at it and then it, <laughs> it dies and they just gas it out. That's how it dies. And I just remember kind of always being a little like, well, it's kind of a, Kind of a letdown the way they killed it. You think they could have done something a little more crazy with it, but you know, effects at that time were were limited, I suppose. The Deadly Mantis has been coming up uh, a lot lately in conversation really? with people, which which is great. I mean, it's an underrated one. I think when you think about the the big bug monster movies, yeah. like I go to them, I go to Tarantula, I go to the Black Scorpion. Deadly Mantis, for whatever reason, is always in the back of my brain. I never bring it up, but yeah, it's a good one. Uh, card number four. Ooh. Boris Karloff or Bela Lugosi? Oh, come on, man. Like, you can't throw that at me. Like, it's like sacrilege. You can't, um, well, technically, they both played Frankenstein. True, uh, true. Lugosi played him in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say I, I'm going to go. I'm more of a Karloff guy, mm-hmm. but I think Lugosi might, may have been a better actor to some degree. Oh, I think what he was tasked with doing at his time was a little bit more challenging. Meaning, I'm comparing like Dracula to Frankenstein. Okay. I don't think if it would have been swapped, I don't know if Karloff would have been able to pull off Lugosi's Dracula to that degree. I mean, like he cha- forever changed the face. Even now, when people think Dracula, people picture Lugosi. And that's not just because of pop culture and stuff that's because of that movie and it, it res his performance in that resonated that strongly where with frankenstein i think a lot of it had to do with just the the makeup and the lighting um not saying that karloff is a less than actor by any means i mean obviously karloff went on to have probably a much more successful career and life than lugosi mm-hmm. um lugosi had some well he had some he had issues. His, he had his demons. He had his demons. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, man, that's such a tough question. Uh, <laughs> it's such a tough question. Because they both did like some films where you're like, oh, that's not what I... Okay, that's a... <laughs> ooh, that's a tough one to get through. And then like Lugosi, you know, he was doing all kinds of films towards the end there. I mean, was he, he even did like an Ed Wood film, didn't he? Yeah, a couple. Yeah. Glenda, Glenda, Bride of the Monster. That's right. Yeah, that's a tough one, man. But then again, like if you want to go Karloff, Karloff also had The Mummy. Mm-hmm. Shoot. That was a heck of a performance in that too. <laughs> God, I don't know. Oh, apples to oranges, man. Apples to oranges. It's probably the, one of the toughest cards in the deck here. Yeah. So tough. It really is. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm, I'm a Karloff guy, okay. I guess. 
I've, I always will take Frankenstein over Dracula if it just comes down to that. Okay, no, fair enough. Uh, that's how I'm going to have to weigh it. Yeah. Yeah. And my grandfather kind of looked like Karloff a little bit, too. Oh, wow. He had those, he had those brows. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right, final card. Oh, God. Okay, so you thought that card was tough. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Who do you prefer, Vincent Price or Boris Karloff? Oh, I will say I prefer Boris Karloff as an actor mm-hmm. but speaking vincent price all day man like can you imagine if that dude was doing podcasts this day and age it would be the coolest podcast on the planet it'd be <laughs> so great I-, I wish i could do an impersonation but i can't yeah i because- oh wow <laughs> I mean, you can hear him doing like uh, like old radio dramas and things like that, right. and he's amazing at it. Oh yeah, I can totally just see him like sitting back in like a like a dark dark recording studio, lounge room, cigarette in hand, maybe a glass of uh, uh, something. Uh, <laughs> we'll just say cognac because it sounds classy, and uh, and he's just going, "Hello, monster kids," you know. No. Like, I can't even do his voice. But oh man. That would be, right? <laughs> That'd be cool, right? I would give oh. him my podcast if he was around and wanted to do it. You can just, you can just have yeah. Monster Kid Radio because I want to listen. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, it would be so cool. Oh. Well, uh, next time I talk to Victoria Price, who, uh, which will be in October uh, when Ooh. she's at the Lovecraft Film Festival here in Portland, I'll, I'll mention that that uh, this came up, this conversation came up. I think she'll get a kick out of it. So, Is she Portland-based? No, she actually doesn't have a home. She, uh, to use her words, is intentionally homeless. She travels the country and just likes to live life and experience new things. And what? Is all over the place. Yeah, she was just here in Portland a couple weeks ago for House of Wax and House on Haunted hill for two nights in a row to watch those so she's just on a perpetual tour well tour quest you know she's just out there doing her thing and uh, having a blast doing it and she's oh my god that is she's amazing everything i wanted to do as a young man in my life um and then i got married and all that type of stuff but not that i'm knocking that by any means but (laughs) oh i guess i guess my my heart is just fluttering with the romanticization of uh of just doing like that forever walkabout you know yeah just ah this is just something so man i hope she's keeping journals and stuff because her life sounds like it could be a book (laughs) she's pretty special uh if anybody has a chance to meet her do so Man, she's amazing. She is amazing. I'm going to get that book. I'm going to, I got to get that book so I can read it. <laughs> right on. Well, that was the classic five. I think you did okay. Yeah, we went, I, I went off a little bit there. Sorry about no, that. No, it's okay. I mean, we had some hard questions in there this time around. I didn't stack the deck, so these were all just random. So, wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In an unsuspecting world, living creatures from the dawn of time, what havoc will they wreak? What lives will they destroy? What depths of panic and terror will they create? Dinosaurus, the most amazing, astounding, astonishing adventure of them all, beyond anything your mind can imagine, never before seen on the screen. Let's talk about dinosaurs. We wanted to do a dinosaur film to kind of tie into what you're doing with Cretaceous. Makes sense. You're giving me a list of dinosaur movies to possibly talk about. And I was like, oh, I hate to shoot that one down, but we already did that one on the show. And then 
this yeah. we settled on this one, and I'm glad it's been a while since I've seen it, and it's it's kind of a fun, lighthearted goof of a movie. But I had a blast watching it again. I was actually surprised at how much I really enjoyed this movie, and I gotta say, this was one of those movies that back in the day when they were doing like Monster Vision on TNT, yeah, you know, and like I think on TBS they had the Joe Bob Briggs. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Joe Bob. Uh, you know, this is one of those that would always be at the back end of of the stack every Friday night, you know, <laughs> and I remember I always wanted to watch it, but I'd always fall asleep before I got to it. So I get to the like beach scene, you know, where they finally pull the dinosaurs up and I'd be like, oh, man, oh, sweet. This is so cool. And then I'd pass out. I'd fall asleep because it'd be like, you know, 3 a.m. Oh, There's no, no. way I'm going to make it. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know if I ever actually got to watch the movie in its entirety. So this is probably the first time I actually got – I sat down and was like, I'm not kidding anymore. I can stay up as late as I want. I'm watching this movie. It's happening finally. All, all those 20 years in the making. <laughs> well, I'm glad it was worth the wait. <laughs> yeah, right? I even told my sister about it. We've got a, like a six-year age difference. She's younger. And she would always try and stay up and watch these movies with me. And like she'd never even – you know. Uh-huh. I was telling her about it, and she's like, oh, oh, what, how was it? <laughs> you know, like, oh, it was amazing. It was like everything we always thought it would be. <laughs> when I started watching it again this time, and some of the names come up in the credits, uh, directed by Irvin Yeaworth, you know, written by Jack Harris. I'm like, wait, I I think I know who these people are. And then I double check. It's like, oh, yeah, these are the people who made the blob. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know why I had either forgotten that fact or never put that together. But yeah, these are the same filmmakers who made the blob and 4D Man. So you've got, oh, wow. you know, some genre film in their background, which is really cool. And Jeannie Gayworth, Irvin's wife, contributed to the screenplay as well, which, again, huh. really neat to, to know we've got that connection. And apparently at one point, Steve McQueen was considered for the film. What? Come on. There's no way McQueen would do that move. Well, yeah, he didn't do it. And some sources online say they don't know why he didn't appear in the film. Other people or other resources say that uh, Steve McQueen was very difficult to work with on the blob. So they ultimately decided not to ask him back. (laughs) Yeah. And I I just imagine it would have been hard at that time period to get such an A-list. Because, I mean, like I was going through the cast because I recognized a lot of the actors. Like, I've seen that guy in something. I know I have. Mm -hmm. And then I was going through and most of the actors, they were like, um, oh, what's it called? Like the Hollywood Thousand. You know, where you've seen these guys in million tons of films, yeah. but they're never it's never starring roles. This was like a collection of all these character actors mm-hmm. who had these long careers working in Hollywood, but they were always um, you know, they were always like a a secondary cast member. And this was like the the one and only time, uh, like I can't remember the guy who played the caveman, but this is like one of his only starring roles. But it, you look at his his IMDb page, and he had a ton of stuff under his belt. But he was just like, even in his description, it was like acclaimed character actor, you know. Which I guess if you're gonna get somebody to play an awesome caveman, you're gonna want a pretty solid character. Actor. <laughs> yeah, the caveman is uh, Greg Martell is the name of the actor, and that's right. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, character actor. Yeah. Lots he of work in his background. Though. Oh, he was fantastic. And speaking of telling a story without using any dialogue, I mean, all he could do was grunt. Yeah. I got to say, and I did get a chuckle out of 
the kitchen scene when <laughs> he's in the in the kids just like yeah, yeah yeah sit down like he's not intimidated by this caveman at all like caveman's just, he's just like oh you're a caveman cool let's get you some food <laughs> i thought that was pretty fun that whole bit you're working with a kid actor who let's be honest probably wasn't the best actor in the world oh no and, but the caveman is just carrying the scene from the way he sits down in the chair to the way he dismisses the fork it's just great yeah. It's a fun moment. I would have been curious to see how that scene was scripted because it almost seemed like like a lot of it seemed like that was one of the stronger moments for the kid mm-hmm. because it seemed more natural. You know, like the kid was just maybe he believed that this guy was actually a caveman and he was just <laughs> reacting like, oh, well, I got to feed this guy. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Everybody in this film, for the most part, are those like, hey, I know that guy. Hey, I know that face. Yeah. You know, from Dumpy. <laughs> Which is a Yo, terrible name. Come, you know, I had to rewind it when they first addressed him. I was like, did they really just call that guy Dumpy? Like, that's just cruel, man. And uh, yeah, sure enough, Dumpy. And they just kind of crap on Dumpy the whole time. <laughs> like, they're always just, I know that it's always fun back in those movies. They'd always have a character that was kind of like the the Don Knotts, you know, he's the comic relief. Sure. I don't know. Maybe it's just because of this day and age, like something like that would not fly as it shouldn't. And in that movie, like Dumpy was kind of, a, he was kind of like tough guy. Like when the dad, you know, he's like, Oh, let's get the guy. You know what I mean? Like he's the first guy to show up with like a rifle and stuff. Like <laughs> we got to protect the people from the dinosaurs, Yeah, you know? And they're like, Oh, Dumpy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's set up to be this kind of like comic foil type, but no, you're right. He's like, okay, let's do it now. Granted, I don't want to see Dumpy with a gun. No, but, you know, no. anybody named Dumpy, I don't want to if, if they're open, like willing to be called Dumpy, I don't want them to have a <laughs> firearm. No. <laughs> no. Uh, he was played by Wayne Treadway. And uh, I want to talk about the lead guy, though, Ward Ramsey or Ward, the character of Ward played by Bart Thompson. This was his first film. Oh, was it really? Yeah. He had that like get classic kind of 50s like, yeah, all right. Uh, yeah. Let's go, everybody. We got to get the kids to safety. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He really did have that that kind of vibe. And I'm I'm surprised that maybe he didn't try to get any work beforehand. But, I mean, he feels like he would fit right at home in a 50s sci-fi flick. Yeah. Like, he, he should play, like, the doctor. Or, oh, uh, yeah. Know, the, I want to say when I looked him up afterwards that he went on to be in a bunch of um, like Western TV shows. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm drawing a blank on some of the TV shows from that, that era, but it just made sense. So I was like, Oh, I could totally see this guy playing, you know, the deputy or uh, the, you know, the sheriff in some small town that the characters are rolling through or something. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he just had that kind of, uh, authoritative middle-aged white guy from the 50 you know what I mean blonde <laughs> hair and all that type of stuff just yeah yeah I don't know. He definitely put off that vibe. And and I thought definitely. he did a good job. I I don't know if I really bought the chemistry between him and his girlfriend significant other uh, whatever. No, the chemistry was a little off. That was uh, what yeah. was her name? Betty. I think it was Betty. Yeah. yeah. Played yeah. by Christina Hansen who does not have a lot of credits to her name. No, she just did a few films and then was out. Yeah. You know what? You know what I was actually really interested by is uh, the dinosaurs, the claymation thing. So I was looking into that, yeah. and it made sense, and I totally clicked once I read it. But Apatosaurus or Brontosaurus, whatever you want to call it, it was uh, from uh, the Twilight Zone. They ended up using it for uh, episode of the Twilight Flight something where uh, a plane gets go, travels back in time or mm-hmm. travels through time. 
Um, I can't remember which episode it was. Uh, the Odyssey of Flight 33 is the episode of the Twilight Zone you're talking about. Ah, there we go. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a plane that's goes through some sort of disturbance and goes back in time to all well, the time of the dinosaurs. And there yeah. you go. You get to see the dinosaur. They try to get back home and they end up getting up, uh, what, in like the 1930s, uh, not quite where they're trying to get. And then they're on their way at the end of the episode to try to get home. And then that's it. It's a fun little episode. It is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I haven't really talked too much about Twilight Zone here on the show. I really should. Cause there's some great things there. And I thought it was kind of interesting too. Like you said that this dinosaur shows up, in the Twilight Zone, footage from this film got used as stock footage in other productions, and I'm sure that was by design. I'm sure Jack Harris, the producer, was like, hey, you know how we can make a few extra bucks out of this thing? Yeah. I mean, I guess it just makes sense. I mean, they were doing that kind of stuff all the time back then. Just You had this high need for content. Your budgets were so much. It's factory line kind of production. For a lot of the stuff, it is, yeah. Which is amazing that they were able to create so many classics from that kind of structure. It shows how talented a lot of the people and how ingenuitive a lot of the people that were working back then. Again, you know, like Creature or even this film, we need a placeholder. We got to produce something. So by all means, you know, and any of these films could just be throwaway projects. Obviously, somebody who's who's working on it, it's a labor of love for them. So they're putting in some kind of effort and creating qualities that make it so that you can go back and watch the movie now and it still holds up to some degree or still, you know, like like we're saying, like the comedic moments in this film were pretty good. You know, they're pretty funny. And all the characters, like even down to like, like you said, Dumpy, were pretty <laughs> fun. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And heck, I'll even say like the dinosaurs like mm-hmm. looked for, I mean, were they Ray Harryhausen? No. 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 <laughs> but they were pretty solid, you know. There was a few scenes where the little, you're like, oh, what happened to their, his face there? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, they were pretty good. And I did like that they integrated puppets. Yes. The close-ups. I, I think that that was actually a smart way to go. And I wonder, I wonder why they did. Maybe it's just because they knew that their claymation uh, or their clay animals weren't quite on point to the Harryhausen degree. So I think the the puppet was a smart way to go because you know they did that like in like the original Godzilla, even like some of the King Kong stuff had uh, things that weren't just claymation. Right. Yeah. There's one shot in the original Godzilla that it's a stop motion, and yeah. I, I don't know why they did that. To me, it stands out from the rest of the film. But I'm sure back then it was just like wow, you know, you know. I was looking at the people who did the dinosaur effects here, and their names are not ringing a bell for me. And, and I don't know if that's just my ignorance not being more aware of some of the lower tier stop motion guys who aren't named Harryhausen. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know a lot of the names. Marcel Delgado did a lot of the models. The animators were uncredited altogether. So yeah, I, I don't know much about them. So if there are any listeners out there that know about these guys, I want to give them a shout out. These guys were, you know, yeah. they did what they had to do to, to make a movie. You were talking about how it was a labor of love and man, you are absolutely right. And, and kind of nailed it. You can tell when an actor's just kind of phoning it in, especially these oh, yeah. days, right? There are so many movies that come out that just like, uh, whatever. You can tell the actors and the performers weren't overly excited about it. Yeah. But all these movies, these classic films, you can tell that there's still a, a sense of integrity in, in what they're trying to do. And that does make them a little bit more timeless. Yeah. And, and I'll say, I don't work in a, like a studio, like I imagine like maybe like, the people that the special effects, there's probably just people that were like the in-house art studio, you know, where they're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool. We're going to try, we're going to try and do stop motion for this, you know, <laughs> or maybe they had done it before. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but 
I think that when you work on projects, it's really hard to get invested, especially if you know that this is like a day job project. And and I say that from personal experience, just that, you know, I work on projects sometimes that I'm taking the gig because, you know, put some, uh, some change in my pocket because, you know, you got to make a living somehow. Sure. And it's one of those where you're like, well, this isn't something that if money wasn't something I had to worry about that I'd be working on. It's really hard to get into that mindset where it's like, okay, I know I have a job at hand. I got to do the best I can. But you can always tell the difference between something when somebody's really passionate about it. And that's one of those things I always respected the most about creators that they show up to work. They have this, okay, this is what we have to produce. Okay. And then they're able to just hit the switch where they're solely invested, solely focused on just this project. They're able in a short timetable to put the same type of involvement, same type of love into it as say someone who's working on their own specialty project on the side. That's just their labor of love. Sometimes, you know, these these labor of loves don't turn out nearly as good as uh, like what we just watched. (laughs) Now to be fair, let's be clear audience. This movie is not, you know, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. not Citizen Kane. It's It's got some issues. Sometimes the models look a little ropey. Oh. And I already mentioned the kid, uh, Julio, played by Alan Roberts. He's a little difficult to watch sometimes, uh, despite the fact that he had quite a few films and appearances under his belt. Yeah. But there's still enough here to, to really engage you. I really liked the villain, if there, you could call him a villain. Worst stepdad ever? Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Julio. Julio. Yeah. <laughs> terrible guy terrible guy uh stomps on his kid on uh, stops on his stepkids uh dinosaur models uh threatens in front war, of everybody that was the yeah. crazy part where he just oh, like yeah. he didn't even care it's like in front of the entire town and he's like ah, Julio, your toes are stupid and it's just jeez, man yeah chill out threatens bart with a bottle at the bar now that doesn't end well for hacker um <laughs> I'm going to slash you to pieces and then breaks the bottle and the whole thing shatters in his hand. And still. everyone laughs at him, which I thought was great. They were like, ah, oh, geez, look at those guys. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, he was good. And the, the tension that you feel between the people that are in charge of the island hacker and them, as well as the people who don't have really any personal stake here other than that's what they're doing their job, Bart and them, uh, I did feel that. And that kind of made this film, I feel like have an extra layer or two that sometimes these types of movies don't have. So I really enjoyed that as well. The stuff with Bart granted, I don't think Bart and Betty had the best chemistry. And I know uh, Christina Hansen was trying, especially towards the end where she's trying to shout, I love you over the sound of the bulldozer. And Bart's like, yeah, 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 go over there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, part, you know what relationship I thought was really good was Bart's buddy. He had, some type of connection with uh wasn't didn't he have a love interest in it yeah so chuck and chuck i think was bart's what like second in command or something like that yeah and there was a local gal right they, they just called chica, chica all the time oh, yeah she was like the barmaid i liked their relate i thought their relationship was actually more there was more heart in that than the main character 100 yeah. percent. i agree with you 100 percent. chuck was paul lacather probably mispronouncing that and chica only had two film roles, according to the internet. She was gorgeous. She was great. She was gorgeous. She had the look for these types of movies. Uh, and she did a good job. Like you said, they, she yeah. had great chemistry. Lucita Blaine was her name. Wow. And I don't know why she only did these two movies, but I thought she was fantastic, and especially interacting with Chuck. She was actually probably one of the stronger actors in the whole film. 
I thought so. And it was kind of touching the way Chuck was trying to serve both worlds here. You know, let's, let's work with Bart. Let's make sure things get done here. But I'm also going to make sure that Cheek is okay. And, and yeah. just the tension. I thought it was really interesting and the best relationship in the film. Oh, yeah, by far. I'm Well, if you don't count the boy and the caveman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good point. And, you know, I got I to gotta point it out. Man, quicksand back in the day was a real bummer, man. It just, (laughs) it was just all over the place. I don't know what they've done recently to clean it up, but man, like uh, those quicksand pits, they just pop out of nowhere. I've seen people post on Facebook that, you know, watching these movies would lead you to believe that quicksand is a much more dangerous thing than it actually is. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was always afraid of quicksand. And then I grew up and I realized, no, what I should have been afraid of is tax season. That's that's what's way more terrifying. <laughs> That's the reality of it, folks. We spend our entire youth thinking like, man, the number one cause of death, quicksand. Reality, no. Stress. Not, not, yeah, not so much. <laughs> but yeah, quicksand's a bummer, man. Oh. It's, it's a and you know? And I got to be honest, man, that dinosaur, I didn't like that. Because the dinosaur is, spoiler folks, but the dinosaur's getting a big fight. And the T-Rex messes up the brontosaur pretty bad. And yeah. I was a little like, oh, oh, well. You know, I'm an animal lover. So whenever I watch a movie like this, even if it's a dinosaur or another monster of some sort, a non-humanoid monster, even if it's doing something that needs to be stopped, like eating people, I still <laughs> I still twinge a little bit. It's like, oh, man, he's he can't help it. He's just a dinosaur, yeah. you know? You you don't have to push him off a cliff with your bulldozer, do you? I mean, right, right. You know, come on. He's just a, an animal doing what he does. <laughs> All those late nights when I tried to make it through the film, I knew that there was this epic bulldozer T Rex fight at the end, and I wanted to see it so bad. And um, I got to say, it was a little short lived. I was expecting it to go on a little longer. Um, so that kind of kind of let me down a little bit i mean it's it's fun to watch it's kind of neat and you get to yeah. see some cool model work which yeah. i would have been more fun to see it go longer sure. yeah yeah i'd be curious to see if they'd remade this film now <laughs> what they'd do with it yeah i'm sure it would actually be pretty awesome probably a lot more dynamite involved <laughs> oh yeah oh definitely <laughs> or, or molotov cocktails that chica knows how to make i like that she was the only one that was like let me show you gringos how to do this and then she was yeah. like sweet and of course uh dumpy like he drops one or something and he's like oh he almost lights a cigarette in the back of the car carrying him. Yeah, yeah. It's like, he just told you five minutes ago, no sparks. You're fine, just no sparks. I know Dumpy's supposed to be not all, like the <laughs> smartest guy, but come on. It's a no-brainer. He does operate heavy machinery, for God's sake. So uh, he should know better than that. I'm still taken by Chica. You know, just uh, back in the revolution, we learned how to do this. What revolution were you in? And can I hear that story? Yeah. That sounds cool. What (laughs) island were they supposed to be on? Were they like in the Virgin Islands? I think so. Hacker, every once in a while, has a French accent. Yeah. And I know at the end in the credits, there was something about the Virgin Islands. I saw something popped up. I want to say that's where they filmed it, which I would like, that would be bad. I wouldn't mind going to the Virgin Islands for uh, a good month to film a flick. That would be a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) But then again, who knows? I'm sure most, a lot of it looked like they were on like a stage someplace. Did you see this in your copy or your version of the movie? I felt like, especially at the beginning of the movie, a lot of it felt like it was shot on a stage somewhere in the back was inserted later. Yeah. Like there's this weird kind of back projection thing happening. Yeah. Like they did the back projection to make it feel like they were actually outside. Uh, yeah um, like it was yeah it was i don't it was very odd but there's a lot of things going on in this film where you're like what is that 
<laughs> but you know, overall, you know, it was, it was a fun movie. I was happy that, uh, that I took the time to sit down and watch it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're kind of criticizing little tiny bits here and there. We're nitpicking, but oh. there is, it, it's just a fun film. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's, it's a, group of people that are setting off explosives underwater to build, I guess, a harbor. They set some dinosaurs loose. They free up a caveman. Yeah. I mean, you can't take the movie too seriously because they did pull frozen dinosaurs out of the ocean that come back to life. The reason. When struck by lightning. Yeah, when yeah. struck by lightning. Yeah. <laughs> it's not enough that they just dethawed, you know, or, 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 or you know, defrosted. That wasn't enough. Right, right. Had, <laughs> we got to strike them with lightning. Yeah. So. A little Frankenstein effect there, you know, to... You know, it makes sense. I guess in like the like kid logic, it makes sense. Like, oh yeah, sure, yeah, sure, okay, yeah. You Why know. not? Uh, and right down to again, speaking of character actors, the the drunk Irishman person they put in charge of guarding the dinosaurs overnight, O'Leary. O'Leary, <laughs> talk about. There's things in those in those old films, like from a dark comedy standpoint, it's very funny, but it's very sad at how they stereotype certain groups of people just straight up like oh you're irish you're drunk just straight up just belligerent drunk 24 7 sorry <laughs> o'leary yeah it just i yeah we're like if they did that now people would be outraged as you know they should be i, I mean i would be very upset it's weird though it's funny when you go back and watch old stuff like that how that stuff is was considered like cool like okay I, you know what i mean like uh, sure yeah I mean, it's storytelling shorthand, right? You use these st right. stereotypes so you don't have to create these in-depth characters. The downside is is they're stereotypes, and they right. aren't the most positive ones in the world. So but what's the balance here? I do like that O'Leary, a, a grown adult, may be drunk, but he's a grown adult sitting there reading comic books. See, comic yeah. books are cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's reading a Rip Van Winkle comic. Which, is that what it was? I was trying to figure out. I couldn't tell what the comic was. Yeah, it was a Rip Van Winkle, which – some places on the internet again say it wasn't a real comic it was something made for the the film itself but either way there's the rip van winkle reference at the end of the film too where uh, ward is explaining to julio why the caveman had to die <laughs> which is just well he woke up wow. and there wasn't a place for him here so yeah again like we go about to that labor of love like they're mm -hmm. insinuating like some foreshadowing there yeah. Um, like, wow, I would have never thought this movie would have that kind of layering. Like, that's pretty impressive. For a movie with some stop motion dinosaurs, it got kind of deep there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty impressive. That's very cool. Yeah. I didn't even pick up on any of that. Oh, man. Huh. Uh, and while we were chatting, I, I double checked. It was shot at the Virgin Islands. Oh, man. Yeah. So I, it was shot there. I got to go there once and... I would love to go back again. It's a bit touristy because, you know, that's just. Sure. Oh, it's so gorgeous. Just wonderful. Just watch out for those frozen dinosaurs. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I made sure I stayed out of the. I only swam. I, I didn't go nearly as deep as those folks did when they were swimming. Yeah, which that was kind of weird. When they introduce the main guy's wife and they're doing demolitions and she's like, hey, guys, it just comes cruising up at her boat and there's like these explosions going off and they're going, no. Get out of there! What are you doing? And she's just like, "Well, do you want your lunch or not?" Well, she had that big cooler in the back of the boat, and when the explosions go off, she's fine. All it did was rock the boat, but the cooler dumped into the water. She had to dive after. And, oh, okay, that's what was going I mean. On. Come on, you know, at the end when she's, oh, be careful, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, just go back to the castle." <laughs> 
maybe it's all stems from that opening sequence. Like there was like, uh, you know, he's saving her, but at the same time, he's like kind of pissed at her because she did that stupid move um, <laughs> where she literally r- drove a dinghy into a demolition zone. It's so crazy. Yeah. I, I will say it was kind of sad when the caveman met his demise. He yeah. figured out enough about this modern world that uh, he wanted to save these folks. That was a, a good part of the story. Well, the actor sold it. Yeah. I think if it was anybody else, I don't know if it would have worked as well. The actor sold that moment when he figures it all out. He's trying to save them. Yeah. It was it was really sweet. And even though she probably wasn't the best actress in the film, her scene, uh, the scenes that uh, Betty had or Christina Hansen had as Betty with the caveman to make sure that, yeah, we're going to get along, but... There's not going to be any romance. I'm going to tell you a non-romantic story. Yeah, yeah. And he was getting caveman. He was, uh, you know, he was he was trying. He was seeing if there was, uh, you know, she was uh, feeling him a little bit. Uh, she <laughs> shut him down pretty hard, but uh, but he didn't push it. Yeah, he didn't push it. No, he wasn't too. He was a respectable caveman. He was he was a gentle caveman. A gentle. He was a gentleman. Yeah, to some degree. Yeah. yeah. I did like um, how he immediately was like cook. You know, like trying to make her like make him dinner. We were like, cheese, man. What are you, a caveman? Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for a troglodyte, you know, he's fairly well mannered. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some, yeah. <laughs> I liked him a lot. Uh, I just, the movie's just fun. And I mentioned this on Facebook when I posted that I was watching it this morning. I love the score. I love the music. I'm a film score geek. People know that now. And Ronald Stein is just fun. As soon as I hear his music or see his name in an opening credits as doing the music, I know if nothing else, I'm going to enjoy the music. And this has got a lot to dig. It's just a fun kind of B-movie, yeah, Corman-esque kind of film score. I mean, Corman had nothing to do with this, but it's got that vibe. It's crazy how a film score can really dictate how uh, in-depth you get with, or how engrossed you get with the film. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because like if it's if the the music isn't clicking, it completely is takes you out. What was it? I just watched something. It was a newer film. The music was so just not on point with the movie itself. It was like a remake of something, but they tried to change all these classic songs and they did like newer like hip hop versions of them. Call me old fashioned, but it was it completely took me out of the entire film, which the film was like mm. okay. But then I had this like film score that just did not fit the story at all. You know, it was like a period piece and they're playing hip hop and then like they I think they had like a nickelback song in there or something. Oh wow. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> what is happening here? No. <laughs> Another good example of that is um they remade Death Wish with Bruce Willis, which yeah. is right in itself blasphemy. How dare they? Um, but like there was a, they had the trailer for it and they had like an ACDC song playing. And I just was like, this completely defeats the entire point of the original Death Wish. There should be no ACDC. Like, I, fine, ACDC is enjoyable in their own right. But for Death Wish, like that movie is not that kind of movie. Like you're missing it. It's not a, like a, exploitation film the original one the other ones yes but the original film had way more depth way more heart and was you know talking about like a reality that at that time period in new york and then you remake it and you have bruce willis just blowing people away to acd it just oh it was just oh it just killed me it killed me yeah i'm a purist when it comes to that kind of thing you know with the music i uh 
Uh, not not a fan uh, of of mismatched music. And you know, you brought up Death Wish. I'm going to bring up I'm going to bring up Cole the Conqueror. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Kevin Sorbo film. Now people know that I'm a huge Robert E. Howard fan. For a second there, I thought you were going to say you're a huge Kevin Sorbo fan, and I was like, ooh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Robert E. Howard. You know, favorite writer, yeah. love his stuff. Um, so I went to go see Cole the Conqueror in the theater. Oh. Because I knew I knew it was Kevin Sorbo, whatever. Not not a fan of of that uh, of Hercules and all that, but whatever, fine. It's Robert E. Howard. You know, the the movie was a huge disappointment. But the minute the electric guitar kicks in on the soundtrack, I was like, come on. You know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this this is about a time and age long gone, long forgotten, and I'm pretty sure they probably didn't have electric guitars. <laughs> right. It does not work for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, go, going back to dinosaurs, is there anything else you wanted to mention about the film? I mean, I, I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. It's got some ropey moments, some issues here and there, but overall, I think it's a solid film, and it's not that long, you know, barely an hour and a half. Yeah, if you got some time to kill, it's definitely one that's worth watching, especially if you got kids or something. I think it's a fun oh, yeah. one to watch with the kids. Um, sure. Because it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's parts in it that are funny. The dinosaurs are always kind of interesting. The T-Rex is kind of great, in my opinion, was kind of stole the show. Sure. You hear him constantly. They're constantly playing him screaming in the background. They're like, oh, he's coming. He's around here someplace. And as somebody that's getting into like doing sound effects for movies, I love that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it made sense because they're supposed to be on this small island. And then mm-hmm. you have this gigantic like mega predator that's cruising around. It would just make sense that it's screaming out in the background and you could hear it echoing. You don't know where it's at, but you know it's somewhere close. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It gets the Monster Kid Radio seal of approval for sure. And I could just sit here and talk about these kinds of movies with you all day, man. So thank you for doing this. Yeah. Something else that gets the Monster Kid Radio seal of approval is The Backwoods, which came out a couple of years ago for you. Yeah. It's a collection you can get your hands on. Yeah. The best place to get it is just Amazon. Um, all, mm-hmm. all my books are on Amazon right now. Yeah, you can you can pick it up there. And then my new book, Cretaceous, you can pre-order that anywhere online at this point or go to your local comic book shop or local bookstore and say, Hey, Tad Galusha has got a new book coming out. You guys should stock it because it's great (laughs) and it's wordless too. So if you got a kid who likes dinosaurs, uh, might be struggling with reading or just struggling with having an interest in reading, this could be a good, uh, kind of, know gateway drug into the literary world for them i like that (laughs) (laughs) it's good for your kids who don't want to read there you go (laughs) you know it's funny when we were uh doing advanced reading or like Uh they do this like advanced it's like the ala uh uh, library association um we put up like a an advanced reader online so people can read it online and then write a review about it and it was a crazy how many librarians were saying, I didn't even think about this until they brought it up, is that they were going to recommend it to a lot of the readers who had like had special needs, you know, oh. like dyslexia or any of that type of stuff. Because yeah. a lot of times like, um, you know, it, reading is just it's such a struggle, but visually things register really, really well. So something like this, they were going, oh, man, this is perfect. You're telling a story. There's elements to that story, but we have readers now that they can enjoy it without sitting down and trying to like figure out what's going on because, you know, they're having a hard time just processing like the words on the physical page. 
I was kind of elated to hear that because if you've ever been around people that suffer from that um, or deal with that, I mean, just reading a menu can be a nightmare for them, you know, especially when you're a kid, you know, like it would be so frustrating, so frustrating where things aren't clicking. And uh, yeah, I'm just happy that I can create something and that people out there can find it enjoyable because I mean, that's really at the end of the day, that's what you do it for. You know, that's that's what that's what you do it for. You don't you're not in this game to get rich. You're just in this game to tell stories and hopefully, uh, you know, um, entertain some people in the in the process. That's what it's about. And I've always found your work entertaining and I can't wait for people to read Cretaceous. And I'm really looking forward to what happens with the future installments with that. Uh, you've got like a second and third in the and kind of plotted out right at this point. Oh God. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, well, I'll just say it now. I've been just hammering the, com- ever since I finished, even before I finished, I was hammering the company with, I got a second volume loaded up. It's going to be bigger. It's going to do this. We're going to do that. I've met a paleontologist up here. I was talking to him about some of my other ideas and he's like, oh yeah, you know, you could do this region, this region. Because like Cretaceous is focusing on late Cretaceous, but it's just mm-hmm. called Cretaceous and you're talking about a huge chunk of Earth's time. So we've got animals that occupied regions in say the, like the lower Cretaceous. There was some type of like mid-Cretaceous extinction and then you had like the late Cretaceous. So like late Cretaceous would be like T-Rex and Triceratops. That's where we're at now. But like people don't realize is like all these animals, they had their own little niches, like regional niches. So Tyrannosaurus was just in North America, like southern Canada down to like Mexico. That was it. Okay. That was the only region he occupied. And he was just on like the western side of the US where down in South America, down in Africa, Antarctica, there was multiple different regions in Asia. So I've got all these different environments that – I just have to tap into them, figure out which animals I want to focus on, and then we can go off. So again, like those nature documentaries on PBS or those little Nat Geo specials, we could take all these different animals from this from this different regions and this pretty lengthy time period, and we can completely focus on them and build a whole. So hopefully if, if volume one sells well enough, I'm going mm-hmm. to get the green light from the company to do more. Um, it's just a matter of getting the sales to that point where I can do more. I've got ideas for the next three volumes. Um, Excellent. And uh, you know, and I haven't even I haven't even tapped Asia. I haven't even tapped Africa. Um, I haven't even gone into like portions of Europe where we have the like I said these entire different ecosystems with completely different monsters, if you will. So I'm hoping at some point I've even got one that I'm working on basically Alaskan story because there's a whole like up here I've discovered there's a whole different like subset like they have a tyrannosaur but it's a different type of tyrannosaur that's smaller um, it's like the small robust tyrannosaur called Nanukasaurus it's super fascinating because it only weighed I think like a thousand pounds so imagine like a T-Rex the size of oh I don't know a bull a large bull so there's all just like I said I, I get I'm, I'm stuttering I'm getting so excited <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I've got a bunch of I got a bunch of different things in the works, that are, you know, different stories. I've got dinosaur stuff right now. I'm writing your classic uh, monster from outer space crash lands on Earth. The U.S. industrial military complex uh, has to rally its super troops or people of mass destruction to deal with this <laughs> monster. So we'll see what happens with that. I'm hoping to be pitching that here in a few months. Right on. Yeah, so I'm busy, boy. I'm busy. 
Well, keep me posted on what you're doing because we'd love to promote it here on the show. And listeners, if you want to hear more Tad, you can find him on his own podcast. That's right. Which is uh, what the Blue Tiger, isn't it? Yeah, Blue Tiger Podcast. Uh, I do it with my co-host, Big Brian Bales, the King of Beards. (laughs) (laughs) You should see this guy's beard. It's uh, it's crazy. It's the densest beard I've ever seen in my entire life. It looks like it was carved out of marble and placed on his face. But yeah, we just we it's (laughs) it's just comics, pop culture. We do end up talking a lot of movies because right now the crossover between comics and film. It's about time it finally happened. And more than just the superhero sense, uh, there's just so many stories out there that are are just waiting to be turned into cinematic pieces. Mm -hmm. It's kind of amazing that they've waited this long. You know, you know, it's really only been this last decade or two that they've really kind of entrenched themselves in like the graphic novel adaptation because it's not like these stories haven't been being told for the last, what, 100 years now almost at this point, which is kind of crazy to think about. Right. But I wouldn't say we're G-rated. So I understand. Yeah, just to let people know. So hey, we get a little colorful with our language. But yeah, you know, it's just us having fun. Bry, he's an ex-Marine. And so he just he comes at, in it as a fan. And uh, I come at it as uh, a guy working in the industry. So we kind of get this nice mix of perspective. Or sometimes like news will break and he'll give his like his reaction, right? Like, whoa, like this is what this reported. And then I'll look at it and be like, well, this is what they're doing. This is why this happened. Or at least I try and give some type of context based off of like trends I see in the industry or people that I've talked to. And then we get guests occasionally. We lately have been getting a lot of writers. So if I got a friend that has a book coming out or someone that I know that has a book coming out, I'll shoot him a message and we'll get them on occasionally and they'll talk about, you know, their background, where they're from and their creative process. We really like to delve into the writing process. That's kind of our goal this year is to really get different writers to come in and talk about how they approach storytelling. Okay, I know it sounded like that conversation just kind of came to an abrupt end. And that's because while I was recording with Tad, somebody started banging on my door and I was the only one home. So I had to go check it and I had to kind of wrap up the conversation. It was just some delivery person dropping something off. I don't know why they were so excited about banging on my door, but they did. And they interrupted the conversation, but it was nearing its end anyway. So that's what happened there. Tad's book, Cretaceous, has come out now. We recorded that before Emerald City Comic Con. That has now come and gone. And he has now received his own copy of the book from Oni Press. But you know what? If you picked it up, he'd still love to see a picture of you holding the book. And I'm sure he'd love to hear what you think of the book. You can find Tad online at his website at tadgalusha.com. It's T-A-D-D-G-A-L-U-S-H-A.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. And then his podcast, Blue Tiger, has got a Facebook page. I'll make sure there's a link to that as well. I'll also make sure that in the show notes there are places you can click to link through to Amazon to buy your own copies of some of his works. Cretaceous, as of right now, is available for pre-sale. You can get it in comic shops and things like that right now, but you can get it through Amazon as well. It'll be coming out next week. His book, The Backwoods, which he independently published, that's available and that's actually really cool. It's got, you know, wolves and aliens and all this other stuff. He also worked on the Bubba Hotep book, Bubba Hotep and the Cosmic Bloodsuckers. That graphic novel's available through Amazon as well. So if you click there, you're supporting Tad, you're supporting me, and you're getting some great comics. Tad's a man. It was a blast having him on the show. I hope you enjoyed it because I did. Thanks, Tad. <laughs> Thank you.
The fantastic duel of the century, the most ferocious battle in history. The flesh and blood King Kong fights his most incredible enemy, a 60-foot robot King Kong forged of super steel. King Kong escapes. All new, all thrilling in Technicolor. King Kong battles missiles, monsters, and a King Kong of steel. King Kong escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, a universal release. If somebody asked you to describe a movie to them, what would you say? Would you say that Guardians of the Galaxy is Star Wars meets the A-Team, or that Jurassic Park is Westworld meets the Lost World? The X meets Y pitch is a long-standing Hollywood tradition, one that's been used to sell plenty of movies that otherwise probably wouldn't have been made. But instead of starting with a script and comparing it to two movie titles for an X meets Y pitch, what if we started with two movie titles and improvised the pitch? Well, on my podcast, X Meets Y, that's exactly what we do. I'm Jonathan Inbody, and each episode, I and a guest will randomly select two movie titles, and then we have half an hour to come up with a new original movie idea that could be described as Movie X Meets Movie Y. We've done episodes like Ocean's Eleven Meets 2001 A Space Odyssey, Godzilla Meets Old Yeller, and Robocop Meets Dead Poet Society. Basically, it's a half-hour sprint through a brainstorming session, and it is a lot of fun. If any of that sounds even the slightest bit fun to you, then you should give X Meets Y a listen. It's available wherever you find your podcasts or at xmeetsy.libsyn.com. Hopefully, you'll hear my voice again very soon, but for now, enjoy the rest of your regularly scheduled podcast, you lucky so-and-so. The cold, glossy pages of True Magazine call the killer shrew the world's most savage mammal. You'll never venture into a forest alone after you see The Killer Shrews with James Best and Ingrid Good, motion picture horror masterpiece. The Killer Shrews. Bring life to the dead. 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 Enter the occult world of necromancy. You were brought here for one purpose. Necromancy. A ceremony dating back to the pre-Christian era is the art of reviving the dead. It requires involvement with evil spirits by the person performing the act. The devil god brings life to the dead. No, 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 please, no, please. And death to the living. Necromancy. Starring Orson Welles and Pamela Franklin. From Cinerama releasing. In color, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. And hopefully, thanks for giving us an honest review in the iTunes store. If you are an iTunes user, please consider hopping over there and just letting us know what you think and letting the world know what you rate Monster Kid Radio at. And if you haven't already done so, maybe head over to the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards as well at rondoaward.com and vote for, well, your favorite movie, your favorite book, your favorite magazine, your favorite podcast, wink, wink, as well as Monster Kid Hall of Fame, which really should be Kyle Young, just saying. Anyway, go check that out as well. I'll make sure there's links to the Rondo Awards uh, in the show notes, as well as everything else that we've talked about here on the show. Our show notes, of course, are at monsterkidradio.net. Also over there, you're going to find our contact information where you can call us and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Or you can send us an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. One really cool email we got this week was from Alistair Hughes, the man behind Info Gothic, which is a sweet infographic guide to hammer horror. It's phenomenal. Link in the show notes to check it out. Anyway, last week I issued everybody a challenge. Talk of a Monster Kid Radio tour bus came up. Hypothetical. Obviously, there's not a real tour bus yet, but you know, it would be kind of cool if there was one. And because Alistair is an incredible artist and a good friend of the show, he whipped up a concept drawing. So I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. You can check that out at monsterkidradio.net. Also over there, you're going to find, well, the episode that I dropped on Monday. Remember last week I told you that we're going to be doing something special here on the show, kind of a, a side thing. Well, it's the Monster Movie Madness. It is the Monster Kid Radio take on March Madness, except it's got monsters, which makes everything better. That episode actually just went out this past Monday. If you missed it, check your podcast feed or again, go to the website and you can listen to it from there or go to YouTube. You can find it there too. There will be more episodes kind of following the Monster Movie Madness thing coming out as a separate episode, but it'll still be on the same feed. So just stay tuned here and you'll get it. Also over there on the website, you can see what we're going to be talking about next week on the show. But if you ask nicely, I'll tell you now as well. I mean, I'll, I'll whisper to you. Don't tell anybody. But next week, we're going to have Ron Adams on the show. Ron is the man behind Monster Bash. I actually just chatted with him this morning and talked about the bash and some of the things that he's excited about this year happening at the bash. It was just a blast to chat with Ron and to catch up with him, even though I'm going to be seeing him again in about, wow, three months at this point. Monster Bash is coming up. And next week's episode will get you excited to attend the convention for yourself. So that's happening next week. Come on back for that. Of course, any feedback we get, we'll go over as well. And maybe I can get Brenda back on the show if, if her work isn't crazy and she's feeling okay. And well, of course, I'll be here. And I hope you'll be here too. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Surfing in the Rain. That belongs to the band, the Bojemoy Orchestra, and it is from their album, Fantomas Contre Interpol. You can find them on Bandcamp or follow the link in the show notes to go pick up their 12-track album. It just came out in January, and I've listened to it repeatedly since then because it's that good. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. Ciao.